Hello, hello, women of strength. It is Wednesday. Actually, it's Monday, um, this day of this episode, and we are coming at you with another cesarean awareness episode. I am so excited to be doing extra episodes this month. And today we have our friend Bliss Young. And Bliss, she, you guys, if you don't follow her, and, and they're the podcast with Dr. Stu. You guys, you need to do that right now. In fact, push pause and go find them because they are amazing. They're a wealth of knowledge. They just make me smile. I feel like every time I'm done listening to their episode, my face hurts because Aww. I've just been smiling. Really, though, I remember I fell in love with Bliss and Stu years and years ago, and we've been so fortunate to have them on the podcast before. And Bliss agreed today to be on the podcast blessing you again with the wealth of her knowledge and answering some of your guys's questions. We put out in the VBAC link community, um, what questions do you have for a midwife? And we got quite a few um, surrounding home birth. And I know this might sound like a really heavy month of talking about home birth because Julie and I got a little salty in the beginning of April talking about home birth, but it's just such an important topic that a lot of people don't know is an option. So we're excited to dive in today's episode with Cute Bliss. But of course, I have a review of the week that I would like to read. This says, the title says, thank you. And it's from Kara05. It says, I just wanted to drop a review and say thank you. Because of listening to some of your podcasts, I felt empowered to talk to my OBGYN about skipping the repeat cesarean in the event I go past my due date. This was something I had my had in my head that I really wanted. And opting for an induction and still to still try for a VBAC was important. She was and just over all she was and just over all of this, so supportive. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little weird for me to read. Um, she was so supportive of all of the idea and totally on board, which helped me get more excited about about champion championing. Was I can't read this morning. Championing, sorry, Kara, this V back. So thank you. <laughs> oh man, this is where this is where Julie always would come in handy. She would really read reviews very well. But championing, so going on and having her V back journey. So congrats, Kara, for feeling that you are able to feeling empowered and feeling that you're able to talk to your OBGYN. This is something is so important, whether you're a VBAC mom or not, right? We want to have a good relationship with our provider and we want to make sure that we can have those tough conversations when they may be suggesting induction or a repeat cesarean for going past your due date. But if something in your heart's telling you no, or you're seeing the evidence and you're like, oh, it doesn't feel right, have those conversations. I encourage you to have those conversations with your providers and i mean is there anything that you would say to that as well being a provider in the world like i feel like as a provider in my head i would want someone to tell me their thoughts and feelings my relationship with my clients is very intimate so yes. yeah i i really feel like one of my teachers elizabeth davis who wrote heart and hands she's a longtime midwife and teacher she talks about the more that we do prenatally, the less we have to do in labor. And so I feel like that relationship that we have and hearing, you know, the internal landscape of the client is so important because when we are in labor, we really, our body responds, our hormones respond to feeling safe and having trust and being able to really relax and 
that's true for every every one of my clients, but especially, you know, with my VBAC clients, because I have another level of trauma many times that they're having mm-hmm. to deal with. And, you know, that could be their experience that happened in the hospital, or, you know, maybe they were transported from a home birth and had a cesarean. And then there's that level of, does my body really work? You know, mm-hmm. can, can I trust my instincts? So the more that we can dialogue about those things and start to really pull that apart and work with them prenatally, I feel like the better chances we have in having that successful experience. Yeah, absolutely. I will never forget. So I transferred to my midwife at 24 weeks with my my third, my son, um, my VBAC baby. And I just remember looking forward to those days that I got to go see my midwife because I would be feeling angst and hearing all the static, you know, in the world. And I remember just walking in and she would always just greet me with a hug and say, Mm -hmm. how are you doing today? Mm -hmm. What do we need to talk about? Right. And we talked, we dissected those fears and, and really talked about the things that was going through my mind in that time. And I remember always just leaving, going with like weight on my shoulders and leaving, just feeling refreshed and more connected to her. Yeah. And, and I think it's important. And I, I know that it's hard in the system because we, we have providers that are restricted on time and they have so many patients and, you know, they've got bogged schedules, they're tired. And so it's, it's a little harder for them to be more intimate, but I still encourage our listeners to, to have those conversations, to let them know where you're at. So like you said, you can work through it prenatally. So during the birth, those things aren't coming up. Because we, I mean, we talk about that in our course, right? Like VBAC can be different and need more time prenatally. And so, yeah, if we don't do those things ahead of time, it can definitely impact during labor. Yeah. And, you know, expect that kind of care. And if you're you're not getting that kind of care, if you're not feeling that way that you just described when you leave your provider's office, start to think about what it is that you really want. And I know not everybody has the option to be able to either financially or because of availability, be able to, you know, work with a midwife necessarily, but, but plan to have somebody on your team that you do feel can support you that way, whether it's a doula or maybe doing some concurrent care with a midwife in your area where she can hold the space for you and give you those positive feelings that can help prepare you for your delivery. Absolutely. And talking about like, I did dual care for just a little bit as I was kind of debating a little bit and figuring out logistics and Mm -hmm. that totally just doing dual care like it made me feel so much better because I would go to one place and hear one thing and then go to the other and have to work through that. And she did have the time and, and the things, the resources to provide me that comfort. Yeah. I love it. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. 
Here is your host, Megan. Hi, birth workers. This one's for you. In an ideal world, VBAC parents would be treated just like any other birthing parents. In today's world, most medical providers sadly don't fully support VBAC parents. However, 90% of parents with a prior cesarean are good candidates to attempt a VBAC. This is why we have created the Advanced VBAC Doula Certification Program. In this doula course, we share evidence-based data for you to educate your clients, teach you the tools on helping them how to process past fears and trauma, or helping them decide if VBAC is even right for them. You will feel better prepared to support them during this beautiful experience. All VBAC certified doulas are listed on our website so parents know who you are. To learn more, go to the VBAClink.com. Okay, well, we, like I said, we have so many questions and I think they're really good questions from our listeners. So we'll just dive into those if you don't mind. And then feel free if we need to like stagger away from them on any other topics or passions. But I really, this is, this is one of the questions actually that were put in, but we talked about this right before we jumped on CPM versus CNM um, or licensed midwife LM, right? Like, there are so many things that or so many questions that people ask and there are myths. I'm, I'm going to call it a myth that CPM, I'm oh, sorry, my dog is barking in the background, guys, that CPMs are not qualified or able to handle v- VBAC or, and especially HBAC, right? I feel like this is a big myth. And so if you wouldn't mind, if we could debunk this a little bit, because I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, I think it all comes down to what you feel aligns best with your values. So just so you understand a little bit about how we're trained. So certified professional midwives are the licensing body is different across the United States. And this is one of the problems with our systems, whereas we look at other European countries where midwives are integrated into the medical system, we don't really have it together in that way here in the States. So the licensure is different from state to state, depending on, you know, the the local jurisdiction. But EPMs, certification is our national certification. I I practice here in California. So when I take my board exams, I'm licensed by the medical board. So it's the same licensing board that licenses OBs that gives me mine. I take one exam and I get the CPM and the LM, but that may not be the case across the country. So we learn our book work And then we have an apprenticeship. So we work side by side with midwives or doctors to learn our hands-on skills. And then we take a board exam similar to, you know, many doctors and nurses and people like that who, who have this professional capacity. A CNM is a certified nurse midwife. So they are licensed by the nursing board and they become nurses first and then have their specialty added onto it of midwifery. Certified professional midwives, all we all we train for is out of hospital birth. So that is our specialty. We specialize in low risk, normal, healthy pregnant moms and their babies. And we are, you know, a, a VBAC, a mom who's had a previous cesarean, labors and delivers exactly the same as any other mom. They have mm-hmm. an increased 
consideration because they have this scar. So the integrity of virus has been affected. But other than that, everything is exactly the same in terms of their pregnancy and, and their labor and delivery. And we absolutely are champions for these moms being able to ha- have an experience of vaginal delivery for the healing of all of that trauma right. that we talked about. And also because your long-term health as a woman who's delivering maybe multiple babies in your lifetime it's actually much better for you to be able to have a vaginal delivery than to continue to go and have cesarean. Cesareans, yeah. And the benefits for the baby of being able to pass through the biome and have those mechanics that, that help empty their lungs as they're delivered and all of those things that the baby benefits from having physiologic birth. You know, we're champions for that, for these moms and for these families, because we know. So there are some things yeah. that we or in case there is a uterine rupture or a dehiscence, as we would say, where this, the scar opens a little bit. Yeah. And there are signs that, you know, will be different than a mom who has not had a previous uh, surgery. But other than that, this mom is just a mom who's pregnant and wanting to have her baby. So um, we're absolutely skilled to be able to support that. And if you look at the statistics of success, right? Because a mom who has had a previous cesarean, she's a TOLAC. So she's a, she had, she's, she's, she's desiring to have a trial of labor after Mm -hmm. a cesarean. So this is a, this is a, this is, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) You're just talking about like being like uterine rupture. Like we have a small increase more, but we're just this just having a baby as well. So at home, we have to pay attention to uterine rupture and hissance and things like mm-hmm. that. And there are signs, but, and then you were going there's, to this next one. Yeah. There are signs that we are skilled to be able to look for. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And when, um, you know, statistically uterine rupture happens in like 0.4 to close to 1%, it's pretty minimal, but mm-hmm. having someone, like you said, like you are trained in out of hospital birth and so it's a little it is different but that doesn't mean anyone's less qualified to support someone giving birth after having previous a a previous cesarean or cesareans oh yeah so what i was gonna say that where i lost my train of thought was the statistics in terms of success so actually Mm -hmm. having that vaginal delivery is much higher out of the hospital with, with a midwife than it is in the hospital. So that is something to consider as well is, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're, that's your desire, you want to put yourself in a situation where you're going to have the best possible support to be able to have the vaginal birth that you're desiring. Absolutely. And that's what Julie and I spoke about in the beginning of April, kicking this special episode series off is is home birth and the success chances outside of the hospital. And then we talked about how, I think it was like, I want to say it was 18% of people may transfer. Tell me if you know this wrong, but it, or if you know this stat, I think it was like 18 or so percent, but in within those 18% of transfers, it was usually like exhaustion, like needing an epidural, or maybe we've got like some scar tissue or something that we can't work through. And there's some, some failure to progress 
as I'm doing my air quotes, um, mm-hmm. and we may need to use something else if we can't get like a homeopathic or, you know, something to work. I want to say that was what we had found. Is that approximately what you would say? That's not my statistic. My well, statistic- yeah, your statistic yeah. is low. Yeah. So I would say the uh, a mom attempting to have a vaginal delivery after a cesarean is the same statistic as a mom who is attempting a first-time delivery. So we treat them in, in the same way in, in a lot of ways because they haven't had that pushing phase, right? They haven't mm-hmm. put out. So, and their labor, depending on how far they dilated in their previous labors, that's going to give us some information as well. So if a woman got all the way to 10 and was pushing her baby out, and then they, you know, for whatever reason, decided that a cesarean was appropriate, she's going to, her labor is going to be more like a multi. So someone who's art, except for that pushing phase and someone who maybe didn't ever get to have labor. (laughs) You're raising your hand. Yeah. Ever Or they maybe, I think one of the questions that's coming up is, you know, you only dilated to so far and you're not sure if you're going to be able to get past that point. Those, those moms are going to be treated more similarly to a mom who's never had labor before. So yeah, going to support them in that way. But you have to really, I think this is what we don't understand is that a lot of the studies and statistics that are done when you're looking things up or hearing about things are from a medical perspective. They're from Mm -hmm. a hospital perspective and the way that they treat, and I was a doula for many years before I owned a center and I was a doula for many years before I I started doing um, a private home birth practice. And I know what it looks in the hospital to support a VBAC. I've been there with them. And your provider and their faith in you and the way that you're treated by the nursing staff and all of that has a huge impact on your ability to be able to labor and progress normally. We are mammals. And so our bodies are going to respond the same way like a cat or a dog or a cow who wants to go and be off by themselves and have privacy and not feel like they're being watched. Your hormones respond to that. So labor moving straight forward in, in, in a normal way is affected by you feeling that way. So that's what I was saying when we were talking about the different licensure, it really depends on where where you're going to feel the most comfortable, Mm -hmm. but you want to have a team that really believes in you and really makes you feel, as we were talking about in the beginning, relaxed and and comfortable and empowered because those are the things that are going to affect your body progressing normally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a doula, I've supported VBAC clients both in and out of the hospital, but there are times where there's a lot of pressure and angst that is created and that's not helping us labor. And Julie and I mentioned it in our episode, like it, it, we have to think about it as like, we wouldn't give birth in the same place we conceived, Mm -hmm. right? Like we don't conceive in front of a whole bunch of people in the bright lights on a bed with things strapped to our body, Uh right? Right. But, but then we, we try to give, I mean, now we try, we do give birth this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just something to be mindful of for sure. So I didn't get a chance to say my statistics. So for first time moms, 
is a little bit higher than moms who have already had a vaginal delivery. So that statistic is about 10%. And, and as you pointed to, the majority of those are not emergent transports. Those are transports where, you know, we're ready for something a little bit different. And again, this is when even midwives have a different level of comfort in terms of how they care for you. So, you know, I don't transfer someone to the hospital because I'm ready for them to go. I transfer people to the hospital unless there's a medical indication. If there's a medical indication, obviously, then I'm like, okay, we need to go. But in terms of this exhaustion and wanting something different and maybe, maybe wanting to rest and get an epidural or get access to Pitocin to augment the labor, those kinds of things. For me, if everything is looking great medically, then this is the mom's choice. This is not something I'm going to make that decision for her. You know, I had a mom the other day, this didn't happen to be a, a VBAC mom, but just, you know, in a normal labor, she had the pushing instinct. Mm-hmm. It went away. We labored with her for another nine hours because yeah. she had a lip and then she pushed her baby out. And, and all of the doulas who were with us we're talking about if that had happened in the hospital, that mom probably would have been e- definitely augmented, oh, definitely, yeah. definitely not left alone, a lot of pressure, a lot of vaginal exams, a lot of, you know, and then probably would have ended up having a cesarean yeah. for a, a quote unquote failure to progress. But what that mom needed was she needed to rest, she needed to eat. And she needed to feel like she was ready for the next level of her labor. Mm-hmm. It was a very mental thing for her, we believe. And that's not something that's always given either at home or in, in the hospital. And sometimes, yeah. especially, I was just talking to a VBAC mom right before we got on the phone because she went in to see if she could get a consult with a backup doctor in our local area. And so I sent her to the most common, you know, doctors that are supportive of transport. And, and this doctor said no doctor in their right mind would support, would back up a mom attempting to have a vaginal delivery at home. Mm-hmm. And this is the best we got, right? Yeah. And so, and we got on the phone and we were talking about her feelings about all of that because, you know, she would really love to know if she's going to have a repeat cesarean. She would like to know the person who she's having a cesarean with, totally. right? That's That's one of the reasons why I did it. Yeah. That's a reasonable thing to desire. But what she's finding out is she may not have that option. And just being in that doctor's office, (laughs) she said that the nurse came in and said, can you take off your pants so we can do a pap smear? She said, I'm not coming in for a pap smear. And, you know, just that was like a perfect example of being treated like every other person and not being individualized. This woman was coming in for a consult. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but it solidified her desire of like, this is why I'm not going into the hospital again. This is, yeah. you know, if I need it, then it's a good, it's a good option, but it's not something that I'm feeling like I want to choose. And so it's just solidifying her desire to have this out of hospital experience. Absolutely. And I think for those who are doing dual care, it's important to still learn the stats and the facts because they can sometimes, they can inflate these numbers and these statistics. And then you're left thinking, wait, am I making the right choice? You know, when my providers told me, good luck, no one's going to want you out there. 
I'm a little different than what she was told, but very similar, right? Like no one was going to want me out there. It made me question like, well, why? Like, am I that scary of a patient? Right. Um, And that's just not, it's not a good feeling. And it's not how you should be feeling during pregnancy and especially not during birth. Um, So I'm going to kind of lead into one of the first questions um, that was actually written into of why is there so much backlash around HBAC? And when we, you know, we're talking about backlash, I think it's just, it really just means like so much hate and distrust about HBAC. I mean, do you find that a lot of people are coming to you saying like, everyone's telling me not to do this, or maybe they're even scared. I feel like maybe by the time they come to you, they're like confident in their decision, but Mm -hmm. do you ever have any clients that are still unsure I think that people can be in care and still feel a little unsure, you know, and I think that that's, there's, there's part of the process of just kind of unraveling the experience that you had last time and, and being with somebody who consistently says, everything looks good. You're doing great, you know, and just normalizing the experience of having a joyful pregnancy. (laughs) You know, the, the mom that I just talked to, she's like, there's risks in everything. And I think that that's, that's, true too. Like you can look at a statistic that says you have a 1% chance of having this thing happen. And you can say, well, I want to try and take that risk down to zero. Obviously there's risk in everything and you can't have no risk, but there are people who look at it and go, I have a 99% chance of having success. That's what we say. Yeah. Like yeah. let's flip it and be like, I have a nine, you know, whatever, say 98.9 or 99% chance of full success. And it's like, well, dang, that means I, I'm pretty high up there, you know? Yeah. So it's, you know, that's probably how you look at life in general. And so if you're wanting to flip the script for yourself, not just about this particular instance, but about how you look at life in general, because, you know, we talk about the birth of our child is just one day, like you're actually going to be raising this baby and they're going to have all kinds of risks. So do you want to spend the rest of that time with this child being worried all the time about what possibly could happen? Or do you want to enjoy what life has in store for you? Right. You know? And that's, that's, a, that's a lifestyle thing. But you can have a transformative experience and, and you have this, this thing in your life that people are looking at and they are projecting onto you their own fear. So you have the ability to ground yourself in your own belief about how you are wanting to take control of not just this delivery, but your life in general. And I think it can help you move into just feeling more confident about your choices in general. Absolutely. And you, I think you just nailed it right there. Like a lot of the times the the people that are giving, that are feeding the backlash are people that have experienced maybe an unfortunate circumstance or have experienced something personal, right? And they are kind of feeding it out there to the world because that's where they're at. Yeah, um, or not, or they haven't had any. <laughs> or they haven't. And yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. There are, um, you know, I had a mom one time in my care who was attempting to have a HVAC and her do- her previous doctor who she was you know they were sending me the records she was transferring out of care she was like 
you know, this is so dangerous. How are you going to know how the baby is doing? What, how are you going to know the signs of, you know, and she didn't even know what we do at a home birth. She didn't know that we monitor the baby, that we have all kinds of medications and ability to be able to manage things at, at home. And so I think a lot of times there's just an ignorance too. There's just not understanding the role mm -hmm. that midwives play. We're not, you know, yeah. not doing like a, a seance with our incense and our Birkenstocks and just hoping for the best, <laughs> you know, we actually, right. yeah, we actually have been trained to know what to look for. And because we do normal all day, every day, that's our specialty. When something is not normal, it stands out. It's like mm -hmm. a bad note. You're like, huh? this is not normal. And if there's something going on with the mom's uterus during labor and delivery, there's going to be signs. There's going to be pain in between the contractions near the site. That's unusual. There might be bleeding. That's unusual. The baby's heart tone might be unusual. The, the patterns of her labor might be a little bit funky. So there are a lot of things that will stand out to us as this is not a normal labor progressing. Something's going on. And if you're being conservative and you and it's like a question mark, huh? Is does this mean that something's happening with the scar? Then you can conservatively transport to the hospital and be monitored continuously because we use intermittent monitoring. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe nothing. Maybe you'll have a vaginal delivery at the hospital. But you you have the ability to do that and not wait for something catastrophic to happen. We have plenty of time to get there and do the more conservative management of this labor just in case. Right. And that, I mean, one of the questions was, what are the stats of transfer for an emergency? And again, like everyone's stats might be a little differently, but what she's saying is there are signs that indicate maybe a change of plan before there is a crazy emergency. Right? right. And, right. and I do think that like what you're saying is like, she didn't know like what the care was. And I think a lot of people, it, it circles back to the backlash is I think a lot of people don't. And like, for me, my mom said some really crazy things and years later, I mean, it wasn't until I really understood the mental process of my mom and everything. It's just like, she was saying those things out of fear and unknown uncertainty. She didn't know what out of hospital looked like because she only knew what it looked like, right? And mm -hmm. so it's so important to learn those things and learn those signs, but know that like Bliss said, they're usually, and, and it's not even just one. I mean, I feel like, I mean, Bliss, you'd probably would know way more than I would, for, but from my experience, like there's usually a couple symptoms. Like it's not just like, mm -hmm one like maybe here and there it's like okay well we've got this this and this or okay we've got this opening okay let's transfer or let's yeah. take a different you know plan of action yeah and and you know this is um you were talking about my my co-host dr stuart fishbein um yes. and you know one of the things he says you know he was a doctor in the hospital for many 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 years and then has now been providing out of hospital support for families for I think it's 12, 12 years now. So he has the benefit of, of both worlds. And he talks about when we, when, we, when we say that a uterus has a rupture, we think about like, we imagine like a tire bursting on the freeway where it's mm -hmm. just all of a sudden this pop, you know? Yeah. But usually what it is, is it's 
what we call a dehiscence. So there's a little opening that happens in the uterus. And oftentimes that can even go without having any real incidents. And the only way they would know that that happened is if they went in and did another surgery. So a lot of times those things will heal on their own. And so it's not, I think you were saying that there's a 6.2% out of the Mm -hmm. people who do have a a dehiscence or a rupture that have something really catastrophic that can happen. So Mm -hmm. the statistics are really on your side, but you have to be the one who makes that decision to say, I would rather just have another cesarean or I would really want to try because there is such a high statistic of having success. So, and you know, one of the things that I was saying to this mom earlier is what I notice about, and I, you know, I would consider myself a a specialist in VBAC. I, I really Mm -hmm. love caring for these women. Um, One, because I feel like their options are limited, especially in the area that I'm in. There was actually a ban on VBACs in the hospital, in the local hospital where they would deny these women pain relief if they came in to try and have a vaginal delivery. So the women in my area are driving 40 minutes to go to a hospital in another town to be able to have this support. So this area actually is, is, you know, I feel really honored to be able to provide this option for people who desire that. It's really important to me. And I was transported in my first delivery and had a forceps, an instrument delivery. I didn't end up having a C-section. But when I had my vaginal delivery on my own at home after that, the triumph of reclaiming my body and feeling like knowing that my body wasn't broken. And it was just a mismanagement of my labor that led to that, that, you know, I know what it's like for these women to be able to have that redemptive, you know, after the the surgery. But what I noticed with VBACs is either they're, you know, totally straightforward and normal, just like another um, mom giving birth, which I talked about earlier, or they come really fast. It's like the uterus knows, I can't do this for very long. I need to be super effective. Mm-hmm. I actually just had a woman who had a VBAC after two cesareans um, with me. And it was so fast that I didn't make it. <laughs> oh. it was. And I was so happy for her and her husband because he's a paramedic and he caught the baby and everything was absolutely amazing. I was on the phone and on my way there. Oh, but you know, That's amazing. You know, all the work that we did to prepare her for this and, you know, just pop that baby out. Like, like she'd done it her whole life. Um, Or we might have a labor that meanders and, and the uterus is wise in that way too. That's like, I need to be really conservative with my energy. And so you might have these like contractions that are really far apart and, just like I did in that birth when I was telling you that we gave her nine hours to kind of Mm -hmm. have that back, nothing was wrong. We weren't getting any signs that anything was wrong. If you, if you're a mom attempting to have a vaginal birth after a cesarean and you have a labor like that, you want somebody with you who's going to honor and respect that your body is progressing. It's just going to take a little bit longer because that the integrity of that scar it, the uterus knows, like, I just need to be smart about this, you know? And yeah. if you augment that labor or push that body past what it's saying it can do, that's when you can have a problem. Yeah. You know, I love that you said that because I was one of those that my body just 
dinkered around for a little bit, huh? <laughs> 40, 42 hour long labor, right? And I was like, this is never going to happen, but it did. And I'm so grateful for it. But I think maybe my, that's just what my uterus needed, right? This yeah. needed to take a time. And then, and then it was like six to 10 baby out really quick. It just took a long time to get there. Um, yeah. But you so, hadn't, you said you hadn't had labor before, right? No, I had only labored to it. Yeah. So I labored like a first time mama, right? Like, um, so I had only gone to a three, my water broke, um, before contractions really started. So it kind of had to like kick in and yeah, there was a lot. Involved. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes first time labors can be that way. You know, yeah. I tell my, I tell my families that, you know, be prepared for three days. Like that's normal. Yeah. That is normal labor for a first time dilation and delivery. And yeah. I don't think that that's what you're going to hear from a medical provider because they don't know normal. They yeah. only know what, what they decide as being normal. And so most of those labors get augmented in some way, either they're induced yeah. or they give them Pitocin at some point, or they just call it and say, you know, your body's not, not doing yeah. So we're just going to give you a cesarean. Yeah. And that's what happened with my second is they were like, oh, it's just not going to happen. And I, you know, I hadn't very, been very long. And so it does happen. So another question was like kind of going to failure pr- to progress. If we didn't want to transfer, if we, there was no need to transfer, but maybe we're getting tired and we're trying to progress um, at mm-hmm. home. Obviously mm-hmm. we know time is our best friend, time and trust and faith in our body. And sometimes it is going to sleep, getting some food and maybe doing a mental, you know, fear clearing or because I I truly believe I've seen it so much through my own doula work and my own personal self and through the podcast and everything. Clearing our mental fears during labor can change our pattern like just like that. It's crazy. But for home birth midwives, are there things that they can do to kind of help progress uh you know in the hospital we talked about like more likely you'd get augmented with like pitocin or something like that or maybe they'd break your water but are there things that you know you can do out of hospital to avoid a transfer because it's not really necessary at that point but to help progression if we're starting to kind of get tired and and things like that well i mean i think that when you do have that scar you want to be mindful of pushing the body like i said so yep. I, I'm not against augmenting a VBAC, Mm -hmm. but it's something to really like give really good informed consent and talk through. And I would probably lean more towards let's sleep. Let's like, let's take the pressure off. Let's figure out, you know, if you're in early labor, sometimes you can take like a Benadryl, you know, it sounds but you can take a bedroll, even maybe have a half a glass of wine. And um, sometimes that can help you sleep. If you're in full-blown labor, it, it's a little bit harder to do. Yeah. But like you said, you know, maybe having a conversation about like, is there something that you're afraid of? Are there people at the birth that are nervous and that's affecting you? Yeah. Sometimes you have too many people there too early your mind can be wanting to take care of those people like, gosh, this is taking forever. I feel bad that my midwife is here, that my mom is here. Send people home, you know, send people home, keep one person there just in case, but, you know, clear it out. You can refresh the, the space. Like if you've been in labor at home for a long time, sometimes you just like, you know, change the smells, clean up a little bit, put on outside. 
go outside. We, we sent our mama outside barefoot in the grass in her backyard. You know, those things can be really healing. I, I send people on walks all the time. Like, I know it's really hard. You don't want to get your clothes on and go outside, but this is going to be really good because it takes your mind off of it. Also, going back to that hormone flow, you want to increase oxytocin. So things that can do that, maybe put on a funny movie and try and kind of get distracted that way. Maybe you and your husband can go get in the shower together and you can have a little bit of making out and nipple stimulation. Mm -hmm. If your bag's intact, I know this sounds totally crazy, but I've had people actually have sex and it's Mm -hmm. very effective Um, or Mm -hmm. you're, you know, have a toy or something. I just saw a post the other day talking about, you know, having a a masturbating during labor can bring on the sensations of being able to relax a little bit more. I've had a client do that. Yeah, totally. And it it actually totally worked. I mean, he did it for her, but it totally worked. I was like, I don't know why you just did. And I don't need the the details. (laughs) Like, cause I was like, why don't we all leave? Why yeah. don't we all go grab some lunch? Yeah. You guys do your thing. And when we came back, it was business. I mean, it was baby was coming. And seriously, baby yeah. came three hours later, right? Yeah. Um, and so it can work. Yeah. Totally. A hundred percent. And then, you know, like one of the other things you can do is, is like have a dance party, change up the music, yes. spa music and hip, hip, hypno birthing or something the whole time. Put on some fun music and laugh and shake your booty a little bit. All of these things can be really helpful. And doesn't that sound much better than like laying in a hospital bed, being monitored and strapped? Or even hooking up to a pump, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, so facilitating oxytocin is another one that can be really, really helpful. But, um, you know, midwives have homeopathy, we have herbs, you know, our big guns is castor oil, and um, those things can be utilized. I think it's just a matter of really talking it through. And like, I think the first thing I would always recommend is respecting the body, respecting that it, it, there's a reason why it's having a challenge. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you really, if labor really can't get going and you're really tired, then the hospital might be the appropriate place because that, that again, might be your body telling you this may not feel the right way for my uterus. Like there might be something else going on that the uterus is protecting itself from working too hard and causing that, that scar to maybe not keep its integrity. Yeah. And I, that's a really good point. I want to talk about just I mean, you, you did transfer. I mean, you weren't a VBAC, you, you did, you have transferred, but our listeners to know that if transfer takes place, that's okay. That is okay. No failing because you left and changed your plan. There was no giving up because you decided you wanted an epidural. You know, there's, there's no failing in that. There's no, there's just that doesn't need to be negative, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because a lot of the times people writing in plan for a home birth terms cesarean feel total defl- deflate, they feel totally deflated, like they failed. And it's just not how it is. It's not how it is. Can you um like you are an amazing thing? You are birthing a baby, you are birthing a child out of your body, right? You are giving birth and you are becoming a mother, a human being. It doesn't really matter how you do it or if the plan has to change, but 
like Liz said, sometimes it's we need to tune in and say, what is our body saying right now? Is our body saying we need to do nothing? Is our body saying that we need to do something, right? And I think that is one thing that we need to remember. And I think sometimes too, people think, oh, home birth midwives, they'll do everything they can to avoid a transfer. And I really disagree with that. Yes, they're going to help you get you know, the birth that you want. They're going to do everything they can in their passion. But I'm telling you right now, listeners, wife is not or an OB that you know helps at home too. We know that those exist with Stu, mm-hmm. and and I think there's a, there's some others. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to just do something for themselves. They're not just going to keep you. You can't leave. Nope, you can't leave because you're going to change my statistic, or you know, like it's just not how it's going to be. And so it's important for you to remember that that you are going to be safe. They are going to have these discussions with you. And it's okay for you to have those discussions. If you're feeling like you need to transfer your intuition saying something's not feeling right, right? And not feel like you are giving up or failing or, or disappointing anybody because you're not, you're doing what's best for you. Yeah. And again, going back to the work that you do prenatally is going to really help you in labor. The more that you can tune into your own body and know what's important to you and what you need as a sovereign person, the more you're going to be able to tune into that in labor. So you don't want handing over your power to a provider. You want to be the one who's in charge of what's happening with yourself. You, you They may give you information and consult with you about how things are going from their expertise, but ultimately it's about you being the one who's saying, this is really what I want. And this is how my body, this is what my body is telling me. And you don't want to just wait until you get into labor to do that. You want to practice that throughout your whole pregnancy. Um, I think that is a really important piece. And yeah, I mean, you know, thank God we have medical advances, right? What I find with my clients is if we end up transporting, we've done all of these things during, I mean, they've had great prenatal care. They've been able to talk and process through all of these things. They've planned probably if they're going to have a repeat cesarean, what they would like to do differently this time that they learned from their last experience. So once, if they get to that point, they know that they did everything that they could to give themselves the best chances and they feel empowered throughout the process. And I think that that's the most important thing is that you feel like you weren't bullied or made to do something that each step of the way you are making a choice that feels right for you and your family. And as, as human beings, we deserve that for everything, you Mm -hmm. know, we deserve be able to make these choices for ourselves. So, yeah. And I think with being able to make those choices and feeling that empowerment to do that, even if the outcome isn't what we planned on, mm-hmm. we're going <laughs> to have an overall better view from that experience because we aren't going to feel like birth happened to us, right? right. We're, we're mm-hmm. more likely to feel like we were the active participant in our journey and mm-hmm. the leader, the driver in the seat and, and have a better postpartum experience. Yeah. And, and, re- and welcome to life, right? Yeah. Like, how, how <laughs> our lives don't turn out exactly the way that we planned. And, and 
you know, we ultimately have to meet life on life's terms and know that we're not in control of every single thing that happens. It's how you respond and how you move forward through some, through a challenge that really you who you are and gives you the life experience that you want to have because labor and birth and being a mom is the greatest lesson in not being in control of things. And it's an important one, you know, it's a really important one. The only thing that you can really have control over is going in and and deciding I'm going to deliver on this day and have a repeat cesarean. That is within your control. But if you're really wanting to trust your body and to have a physiologic birth experience, you have to be willing to let go of that control and ride the waves and kind of where it takes you and meet each moment with the best that you've got at that time. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Ride the waves. That is like the perfect ending. I kind of have one more question, but I'm like, I want to just end on that. Like drink, ride the waves, ride the waves. Mm-hmm. Trust your body. So if I'm having an hospital birth, what should I be asking? Like, are there specific questions I should ask my midwife? Do I have qualifications? Do I have to usually hit things? There are certain things you would say, you're probably not a good candidate for a VBAC you know, at home. Is there any, are there any final tips that you would give as people are maybe researching this option and talking to people? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning. How do you feel when you're in this person's presence? I think that's a big one is telling your story to them, telling them how you feel and what you're desiring this time. And then just really feeling into like, do you feel like this is somebody you'd want to have by your side? Ask them about their experience with VBACs. Ask them what would be the situation in in which they would require a transport or that they would want to transport. See if that aligns with how you're feeling about this decision and what you would want from a provider. Maybe ask their statistics, how, you know, how many VBACs they've done, what is their transfer rate, when did they transfer with those people? I think that's all really important. And how comfortable are they? Mm-hmm. Are, you a, are you a mom who's had multiple cesareans? How comfortable are they with those risks? And do you feel aligned with what it is that they're sharing with you about how, with their philosophies? And I think that that is a big part, again, who your provider and how they feel and how they approach things, whether it's in the hospital with an OB or a certified nurse midwife or at home with a CPM, their feelings about it and their trust in this process are, are, is going to have a huge impact on your experience because they are going to bring those fears or concerns into the birth room or into your pregnancy. And you don't need that. Yeah. You need something who believes in you hundred percent. And when you're with them, you feel better than when you got there. You know, that's what, that's what you're looking for. And if you don't have those options available in your area, find somebody who can provide that for you virtually or find a doula who can be there with you as a continuity of care that you do have that connection and trust and faith with. That's, I feel like that is probably the most important part of the process. Absolutely. That's what I was looking for. I mean, I had a lot of questions 
go with you know questions to my visits but ultimately one of the biggest things i really was looking for is how i felt in their presence their confidence in me my confidence in them and and yeah i mean i liked to know what would happen if i needed to transfer or what would you know what would they be looking at to make me transfer so i would know okay this is happening she talked about transfer but like overall i needed to know that that person was in my corner yeah because i had never been in any else's corner if that makes sense like i was in my own corner with my first two babies and i didn't want to feel that way again because it was a very lonely corner yeah yeah and so the only contraindication for me would be a classical incision so other than that i think that it's just about exploring what the risks are um like like let's say it's a short interval or something like that mm-hmm. i think true informed consent to that family and making sure that they understand the increased potential risk. If this is an option that they want, I would rather be able to support them in this option than sending them to the hospital if that's not necessary or having those people maybe do an unassisted birth because no one's willing to support them. So, and that's me, not all providers feel that way, but um, I believe if if this is something that you've researched and you understand the risk and this is what you're desiring, you deserve to have somebody there by your side. And that's, that's what we're there for. You know, birth is meant to happen with nobody around, just like a mammal. So we're designed to survive or babies are designed to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually need anybody with you, but when you hire somebody to be there by your side, we are there to be able to help you decide when it is time to get support or be able to step in and offer that medical support mm-hmm. needed. So if someone never wants to deal with any kind of complication that may potentially arise in childbirth, like you should probably shouldn't be a provider because that's our job. We're the ones yeah. who are supposed to step in calmly and, and make help you make a decision that's going to keep you and your baby healthy. And right. like we we're saying earlier, us keeping you home when you don't want to stay home, like, None of us want to have a bad outcome. That is not, we don't go to work thinking like we want to force somebody to stay home and have a bad outcome. We all want the same thing, healthy mom, healthy baby. And for us, you know, there's that additional layer of like transformation and elation and joy and, you know, rites of passage and having the family have an experience of understanding that this is how we were meant to deliver our babies, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I have, I have feelings about the healthy mom, healthy baby. Right. And just what you were saying, like I add to it, healthy mom, healthy, good experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's going to look different for everyone, but I hope that as you're listening to this episode, that, you know, you have options, you have options. And I know sometimes we, you know, just talked about like financially, or maybe even location wise, like you're feeling that those options are strict right? Or you're feeling restricted. And I understand that. And I know it sucks. Um, But don't ever hesitate to like explore your options or maybe look for those virtual support meetings and things like that. Or maybe during 40 minutes because deciding what is best for you is most important. And here at the VBAC link, and I know Bliss probably going to speak for you, but there's no judgment in the way you birth. There's no, there's no judgment. We just want you to have a good experience and know your options. Absolutely. 
Thank you for having me on. I love you. And as I said, I, you know, I, I love supporting families in general, but I have a special place in my heart for feedback moms and for the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation again. And, um, you know, I am available for people to come out to Santa Barbara if they feel like they don't have options, which I know, again, is not for everybody. And also, I'm happy to do consults with people over the phone if that's something that they just need somebody in the who can tell them that they can do this. Yes. I would Yes. And I know, I know it sounds crazy when you're like, wait, I'm going to go to another state and have a baby, but you guys, people do it. I, before COVID, I had a high Russian clientele. People Mm -hmm. from Russia would come here to the States, here to Utah. And I didn't think about how far that is. Right. So it's not super crazy. And a lot of the times people are like, well, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of effort. That's a lot of this. But you guys, this one day in your life that will impact you really well forever. I mean, I will never forget my births, right? And money will come and go, but your experience will stick with you. Ever. So if you can make it work to do something, like if you don't have a, you know, you have a VBAC ban or you're restricted or something like that, like check out Bliss, check out other midwives in the next state over, or you know what I mean? Look at these options, expand your ideas expand your ideas and know that you have options yeah take back your power take back your power take back your power and know that know that it's okay it's okay to do something that seems weird (laughs) right or other people are gonna be like what are you doing but it's okay to do that and And right if we all just do the same thing we never no one ever is able to see that this is possible and you deserve that you deserve to listen to your own heart and your own instincts and what your soul is telling you is right for you and that's okay that that's not right for everybody yes absolutely just like we were talking about earlier like there's going to be different outcomes and it's okay if that wasn't your outcome or that wasn't your choice right like we have people that after learning about VBAC and the statistics The risk is too much for them. And that is okay. That's okay. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at the vbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.